So what the fuck are NFTs? Before giving listeners a technical understanding of what NFTs actually are and why they're important, we first need to quickly explain what a blockchain is, and we can best do that by explaining Ethereum, the blockchain most NFTs today are built on. And so the core idea behind Ethereum is, you know, you can have a general purpose blockchain. We can have a blockchain where instead of the blockchain working like a Swiss Army knife, where you have, you know, five different tools for five different categories of applications, you have a blockchain that understands a general purpose programming language. So, you know, kind of like your phone, you know, in your phone you have Android or, you know, iOS. And inside of Android or inside of iOS, you can have apps. The apps are written in you know, whatever programming language they're written in. Anyone can create an app. Anyone can download an app and run it. So that was the kind of general purpose flexibility I was trying to bring to the, uh, bring to the blockchain world. So where blockchains are these distributed ledgers of account, where people can freely exchange digital value that can be provably scarce in a peer-to-peer fashion, NFTs are a particular unit of account that lives on them. Unlike a fungible token, such as a Bitcoin, NFTs are unique and somehow distinct from one another. In the context of, say, art, you can think of each NFT as number one, two, or three in a limited edition. They are non-fungible, hence non-fungible tokens. This means for the first time in the history of the web, we can have things that are both digital and scarce and provably unique. We can track the history of every NFT from the moment of its creation, allowing for a form of provenance on-chain. Every now and then, when you hear that sound effect, we'll be pausing to explain something that might be seen as jargon. We want this to be as accessible as possible to everyone. On-chain simply means transactions that occur on a blockchain that are reflected on the distributed public ledger. That means I own this and no one else does. Now imagine all the possible use cases for this type of innovation. Mind-boggling. In this audio documentary, we've interviewed over 60 of the world's leading innovators, entrepreneurs, creatives and collectors of NFTs to find out what NFTs mean to them and what parts of our lives they believe they could impact. One of the great things about NFTs is that they mean different things to different people. Whilst they are valuable due to their non-fungibility, they also derive value from what they mean within specific contexts and communities. Right now, NFTs are driving a huge amount of discussion and media commentary, and we're seeing their adoption from independent creators and artists, as well as high-profile celebrities and even mainstream brands and corporations like Coca-Cola and Sotheby's. But why? Is it just hype, the latest fad, or are these things here to stay? NFTs have the power to disrupt and transform both culture at large and economies as whole and represent a step change in how we use the internet. So why now? That's the question we're going to explore throughout this documentary. On the one hand, NFTs restore something we lost with the advent of the web. It spans the globe like a superhighway. It is called Internet. The net, two long-time users. Internet is a whole 
group of networks. The net is made up of some 12,000 individual computer networks. Internet began back in 1969. It was a tool of the Pentagon. But nowadays, just about anyone with a computer and a modem can join in, usually for a nominal fee. So many things in our lives that are now digital have lost value in many people's eyes, to the point of being perceived as free and simply to be consumed, not owned and certainly not collected. Music reduced down to pure MP4 files is a great example. Rather than being bought or collected, music today is just streamed for the cost of a coffee via a monthly subscription. This has decimated the music industry. Over the last year, COVID has deepened and extended our digital lives where the majority of work, play and our social lives are played out digitally, accelerating what many refer to as the metaverse. The metaverse is a combination of innovations in software and hardware that make the physical and the virtual worlds indistinguishable from one another, imagined in science fiction like Snow Crash and Ready Player One. But to me, the most defining feature is an economic system that enjoys supremacy to fiat-based economies of nation-states. It is the meta-world and economy that transcends them. NFTs, alongside cryptocurrencies, are fast becoming the atomic unit of account in that system. To anyone under the age of 25, what you might refer to as Gen Z you could regard them as metaverse natives. And we already see no distinction between their digital lives and the real world, and intuitively they understand the power of NFTs to translate time and money spent digitally into a financial return. This generation has been stuck at home for a year on the same screens, but seeing no real life value from the time spent on them. Finally, with NFTs, there's a tangible reward for time spent, either socially, monetarily, or from a status perspective. NFTs are like basketball cards, meets supreme drops, meets gaming. As Ryan Gill, CEO of Crucible, a metaverse identity startup, puts it, we're being retrained behaviorally in a digital manner to keep up with a younger generation. On collectability, he said, It's also kind of retraining the minds of a generation to uh, collect again. Behaviorally, it's important. And I never have to over-explain any of these concepts to people in high school or younger. They just get it. And I think for what's taking place with NFTs, we kind of see a generation who's been stuck at home, you know, in lockdown for a year. And on the same screen, they're playing games, buying skins, and now also buying NFTs or even making them. And one of those assets has a real value to it and is actually meaningful to their life. Now there's a lot there, and it might seem like we're getting in too deep too soon. To give you a better idea of just how big things have gotten, NFTs are selling for millions of dollars around the world, whether it be crypto art, collectibles, music, or in-game assets on play-to-earn games. However, throughout this boom, there's been a lot of uproar about people paying what seems to be obscene amounts of money, 
for what a lot of people dismissively just refer to as a JPEG. Oh, it's just a picture on the internet. I can right-click save that whenever I want. But it's far more than that. Once we delve deeper, you'll hopefully understand why this nascent way of expressing ourselves digitally has value. The value of NFTs is in the message they send. It's in the communities they build around them. It's in the provenance and proof of timeless ownership they provide. It's in the interoperability of the future metaverse. It's in the more inclusive microeconomies that they create. But really, why are they valuable? The first step comes in understanding what NFTs actually are. To do that, we must go above and beyond the primitive explanation we've given so far. We must ask the people who live and breathe non-fungible tokens what they actually mean. So let's hear from the people who are actually making valuable NFTs. It's an augmentation to uh, digital art, digital collection. But for me, art will always remain the same. It's, a, it's, it's an expression. To so there's multiple different perspectives and dynamics, I guess, that I think of NFTs. And when I think of them from, like, as a gamer, I see the opportunity to capture value uh, in ways that we've never seen before. Um, creative freedom and community are the two most important things that they've provided for me. So I personally compare NFTs to vehicles. Basically, um, an NFT can carry almost everything you want. An NFT is just an item that is able to certificate or to prove that this asset is real and is yours. For me, what's so powerful about NFTs is obviously being able to own a digital item, whether that's a piece of audio or a piece of artwork. Um, and transfer it, prove ownership, but also the history of it, so you have the provenance. So for NFT technology, it gives a chance for me to express my creations and share my creations with my signature. NFTs represent true digital ownership. I see an NFT as a very great vehicle to kind of capture that digitally and, and send it through time. Uh, I kind of see them as like a red pill into the rabbit hole of Web3 and crypto. They're a paradigm shift for short-form media. I think NFTs are a big way for creators to monetize their work originally um, short-term, but long-term, I think it's uh, going to solve the concept of provenance for any item in the world, whether it be digital or physical. The short explanation or the short definition, I would say is like it's a unique digital item that you truly own. Yeah, so, so people tend to confuse NFTs with what they're being used for at the moment. So the way that I like to think about them is that they're just a unique digital thing, you know, and it could really be anything. Uh, and in, because of that very broad classification, I think it's going to, the people are underestimating the impact it's going to have on, on our digital lives in general and society as a whole. 
NFTs to me are, um, I mean, one of one example that I use to describe them in layman's terms is almost like a, almost like the equivalent of a software key is something that people are familiar with. So a little piece of code that you have that gives you access to a digital thing. But to me, they sort of really represent probably the most exciting new piece of the music industry that we've seen for over two decades. NFTs to me are a fantastic enabler of relationship and empowerment for creators and players. NFTs are the first type of digital item that behave the same way physical items do. Even if something gets shut, shut down, the NFT still exists because it lives on the blockchain. Yeah, so I think for me, the most amazing part about NFTs is that for the first time in human history, all of sort of the cultural and artistic creation um, can happen on one medium, which is, you know, the Ethereum blockchain um, and sort of this one canonical ledger of record for all the things that we create. And if you just think throughout history, like the importance of art, it's kind of one of the most longer, longest lasting things that we have, you know, the from the cavemen, the major thing that we have from them still is like the the drawings on the wall, you know, and and it's it, it's something really core to like who we are as humans, right? Um, throughout history, even when you know we were just like trying to survive in the wild and you know uh, get food for the day, like we were still creating art. And I think that that's really what's the most significant part of NFTs is like the now that there is this one sort of canonical ledger of human creation that we can all point to. And uh, it, it sort of sits on one medium. And that, I think, is really powerful. And it, it, it's like it kind of ties together the whole history of humans uh, creating art into this one ledger. I see NFTs as property rights to unique digital assets. just heard from some of the greatest minds dedicating themselves to the nft space making many hundreds of millions of dollars artistically reaching tens of millions of people or building billion dollar companies these are no longer people on the fringes of business and culture these are some of the hottest people on the planet right now all answering the question what are nfts and what do they mean to you as you can tell by now, this touches every cultural aspect of our lives. Art, music, media, written work, avatars, gaming, and who knows what else in the future. And the reason that they're getting so big is because whilst leveraging the same blockchain technology, they transcend cryptocurrency. For many, NFTs are acting as their first experience of crypto generally where they begin to experience firsthand its principles of the sovereignty of wealth that the user themselves is in full control of their money or digital items. They can transact freely with others, peer-to-peer, -peer, and are not at the mercy of a platform or government. Take NBA Top Shots, a platform that allows people to buy and trade video clips as NFTs of their favourite moments in basketball history. The digital queues that saw tens of thousands flock to the site were not just made up of crypto millionaires and traders. 
This was largely made up of your average, genuine basketball fan who just wanted to collect a bit of digital trading memorabilia. Crypto's mainstream moment may have come through the mainstreaming of NFTs and how they power and enhance popular culture, making its technology meaningful to people's day-to-day -day lives. This mainstreaming and widespread adoption has no doubt been influenced by the pandemic. Gabby Dizon, co-founder of Yield Guild, told us about the acceleration in adoption for play-to-earn games like Axie Infinity. Axie Infinity is a play-to-earn game a game where you earn through playing. In the case of Axies, its game is similar to Pokemon that allows players to collect, breed, raise, battle and trade NFT creatures known as Axies, but where you can also earn SLP tokens, which can be converted into ETH and Fiat. Games like Axie Infinity due to COVID. This wasn't just happening in the Western world, however. He tells an amazing story about how in the Philippines, communities who'd lost their jobs and were stuck at home were forced to find another way to put food on the table. Neighbours in rural areas had discovered Axie Infinity and quite incredibly were making enough money to live off, in-game. NFTs are literally changing the world. They are powering new and inclusive digital economies and tens of thousands of ordinary people are migrating to the metaverse for work. And crypto is just being used as the building blocks. What happened last year here in the Philippines in the early stages of the COVID lockdown was that a lot of people were stuck at home, laid off from their jobs, unemployed, running out of choices and getting desperate. And they started noticing that, you know, some of their neighbors in, in the rural areas were actually making money playing this game. And these guys were, you know, didn't know anything about blockchain, didn't know what an Ethereum wallet was, but they knew that if they could follow the steps and start playing this game, they could actually start earning money. So they went through the hoops, downloaded an Ethereum wallet. For most of the players in our community, they're not here because of crypto. They're here because they know that they can play a game and earn money. And crypto just happens to be the rails, you know, by which they can participate in that. And I think that's, that's kind of a very important distinction because we've been waiting for, you know, how does mass adoption happen? If you think about it, this is pretty extraordinary. Adoption is happening all around the world and it's having its biggest impact in areas which are not as wealthy as the West. This transcendence through class, wealth, and the ability to change your economic status is incredibly powerful. This, through something we used to be doing, typically for fun, is now work. Indeed, Jeff Zerlin, co-founder of Axie Infinity, feels this ability to earn value from the time spent on games is a real turning point for the gaming industry. One that he says will go down in history. Uh, it's been amazing. So we have seen tremendous stories coming from especially developing nations of people who have had their lives changed by Axie, people who are paying the bills, putting food on their family's table, paying for medicine, even buying homes and, and cars and, and, you know, essential goods. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been amazing. I think this is uh, something that will be looked back on as a turning point for the entire gaming industries uh, where, right, kind of you saw, we saw Angry Birds 
from Rovio and, and Clash of Clans really define free to play, I think that Axie will be a category defining game for the play to earn genre. It will go down in history. And a lot of these stories, right, from emerging markets about how this is the first game that's really making a huge impact on the lives of everyday, everyday people, um, changing their real life circumstances, their physical IRL circumstances through a game. I think this is, it's very powerful. It has, uh, it's just an inherently viral story. People love to write about it. And this is also how the system propagates itself. Many would argue that this shift from physical to digital was perhaps inevitable, regardless of COVID, especially if digital experiences started to empower and enrich our lives in the physical world. Whale Shark, one of the largest NFT collectors in the world, has the firm belief that our time online has now reached levels which make us digitally first humans. As he puts it, we're in an age where the revenue for digital goods is fast catching up with physical goods. NFTs make digital goods and services possible at scale, and they democratize who can make them and who can earn money from them. On the shift from physical to digital, Wellshark said, NFTs, to me, mark a revolutionary point in the shift of the physical to the digital lifestyle. It's truly the single point in time where all of a sudden, People can truly own and truly manage their digital assets. It's extremely important to me because as I look at the world in which we live in today, many people are spending upwards of 50% of their time online in front of their computers. They have access to at least three screens, their their computers, their televisions, their cell phones, um, and even more, right? And at the same time, we're also entering an age where digital goods and the revenue being derived from digital goods is quickly encroaching on that of physical goods. So to me, it marks NFTs mark a natural evolution as well as a natural progression of digital assets that will revolutionize the way that we look at the digital lifestyle. We now have more people than ever spending more and more time online and at their screens. Perhaps it's been accelerated, but as Wellshark pointed out, people around the world started being captivated by NFTs and curiosity surrounding them continued to grow from a hugely diverse range of people, artists, musicians, media companies, social media empires like Twitter, content creators, and much, much more we're all looking at how NFTs could impact their industries. However, with this level of attention comes greater FOMO, fear of missing out, demand, and increasing speculation in an emergent asset class few can properly understand and quantify. One of the most jaw-dropping moments which really took NFTs mainstream and created a speculative frenzy was the Beeple cell. This is a digital art piece by Mike Winkleman. One image for each 5,000 days. Known as Beeple to his 1.8 million Instagram followers. For the past 13 years, he's been creating an image every single day. And now he's combined these pictures, creating one massive digital artwork entitled Every Day is the First 5,000 Days. Within the first hour of the auction going live, it 
reached a million dollars, eventually selling for an eye-watering $69.3 million. The most expensive NFT ever sold and one of the 20 most expensive works of art, period, ever sold at auction. The online auction for Beeple's The First 5,000 Days just wrapped up at Christie's. Final sale price, $69.3 million. That's more than most Picassos, Monets, or Warhols. Now to repeat, that's $69 million for a digital token. On the 11th of March, 2021, Mike Winkleman, otherwise known as Beeple, sold an NFT called Everydays for over $69 million. It was as if, all of a sudden, the attention of millions of people was sucked into the world of NFTs and the attention there was kept like a vacuum. The Financial Times, CNN, the BBC, no one could ignore what was going on. NFTs, after an exciting few months, had had their mainstream moment. Just like Bitcoin hitting $20,000 in 2017, this was covered by every single news outlet whether they knew what an NFT or digital art even was. And as he puts it, it was a moment where people were like, what just happened? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely um, very, I really still feel like I have not kind of fully processed that. We're still honestly really only a little over kind of three months out from that. And it has still been just an absolute, just like, did that really happen? Like just so so crazy but it's one of these things where yeah there was a, a massive amount of attention it was kind of just you know a, a moment that I, I think everybody was sort of like wait what just happened um and i think we're still there we're still very very early with nfts and something that i don't think people like recognize in this space that most of the world still does not know what NFTs are. And maybe if they kind of heard about it, they still don't really get it. But when there's money involved, and this much attention, and so much hype, sometimes the message and the meaning of something so culturally important and defining gets lost. The eyebrow-raising numbers naturally led to sceptics, many of whom had valid concerns about the incredible prices we were seeing NFTs being sold for, which then often drives many onlookers to retort value and potential. And to some extent, we've seen a lot of this hype naturally turn against NFTs. It's just a JPEG. They're worthless. It's a bubble. Crypto markets have gotten absolutely destroyed over the past few months, and some cryptocurrencies are down more than 50% from their all-time highs. But even among this damage, some projects have gotten destroyed even worse. And they're not crypto coins, they're NFTs. So it seems like this phenomenon of non-fungible tokens or digital collectibles came out of nowhere, caught everybody by surprise, soared to insane valuations, and now have absolutely crashed. And many of these NFTs are worth just a fraction of what they were a few months ago. I'm just going to be pretty much going over NFTs and why I personally think that they are a scam. Yeah, so yeah this, this I don't know anything about NFTs, but this, it seems like they are a symptom of people feeling like they can blow money. 
basically. That that the the economy is fine, food is not scarce for them. They can spend a couple hundred or a couple thousand dollars on something that is speculative. But there are some real dangers to buying NFTs. Danger number one, there is no law out there throughout the globe that protects you from getting ripped off when you buy an NFT. Danger number two, when you sell an NFT, you may have to cut in on the deal some invisible partners. Danger number three, NFT sales prices fluctuate hard. Yes, I'm a mil- my question is, huh? No. no, but really, what do you do with it? Like if you have a digital file that you paid $2.5 million of. Yeah, but then what? It, you can't hang it up. And then you show it to your cases, friend. You know, it's You're like, your- here it is. I have it right here. And they're like, yeah, me too. And it looks the exact same. In addition to the colossal capital involved, as with anything built on or involving a blockchain, environmental concerns started to be raised about the carbon footprint of NFTs. NFTs might be hot right now, but so is their carbon footprint on Earth's climate. Are NFTs bad for the environment? There's no simple answer. These tokens finding that the average NFT has a footprint of around 211 kilograms of CO2 equivalent. That's the same as an EU resident's electrical power consumption for more than a month. There has been ongoing concern about the energy use and subsequent carbon footprint of NFTs, because as of today, most exist on the Ethereum blockchain, which similar to Bitcoin, reaches consensus as a network through something called proof of work, which by design requires costly computation to secure and stop bad actors abusing the network. However, common beliefs about the actual energy used in the minting process, that is the creation of NFTs, are often inaccurate and misunderstood. And there are several initiatives to improve the overall carbon footprint of the crypto industry, including support for Ethereum's long-anticipated move to a less energy-intensive form of consensus called POS, Proof of Stake, as well as NFT creators switching to alternative POS blockchains like Tezos and what are called Layer 2 solutions, which batch transactions off-chain to reduce the cost and energy spent. Admittedly, a lot of the scepticism is still around today, and it feels like a lot of the media attention has moved on to the new hot thing. But the core message of NFTs resonated with millions of people around the world who saw its potential immediately. And regardless of the noise, there was just too much happening. Too many interesting use cases, too many cool projects, and a growing community of creatives, entrepreneurs, collectors, and players that took the red pill and will never look back. However, as amazing as the NFT community is, like the wider crypto community that it's part of, it can be very tribal. Many early adopters who did it for the love, who deeply believed in the principles of crypto, and saw NFTs as a pure expression of them, felt threatened and overwhelmed. And many weren't happy that they saw new people come into the space, suck up all the attention and money, and who perhaps didn't subscribe fully to their ideals. Straight after this record sale, 
Beeple decided to sell the Ethereum he received to his piece on the 11th of March 2021. Many of the Ethereum community were outraged, claiming that he'd, quote, turned his back on the community that made him so successful in the NFT space. Some actually argued that it didn't matter. It had proven that Ethereum had been used successfully as a vehicle to allow artists to monetize their work digitally with great significance to a level only ever previously achieved by auction houses or a rare few living artists like Damien Hirst. Some also said the Ethereum community should be grateful to people because attention brings demand and there's no doubt that Beeple's mainstream moment brought the attention of millions into NFTs that would have otherwise never heard of them. In his words, it was more the volatility and unpredictability of NFTs and crypto, rather than belief or thereof in Ethereum, that moved him to sell. He didn't want to risk what he did not fully understand. I'm not from this sort of crypto community. This is all very new, and it was happening very fast. And at the time when the sale happened, ETH was going up and down uh, very fast. And so it was like, I am literally hitting refresh on my Gemini account, and it is going up and down a million dollars every 15 minutes. Um, and so it's just like, this is like, whoa, 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 we need to step off the roller coaster for a second. I'm also like, front page of the Wall Street Journal, like New York Times calling, like, it's just like, there's every single person I know is literally trying to reach out. And it's like, okay, this is like, what the hell is going on? I need to like step off the like, um, the, the the roller coaster for a moment here, because this is like absolutely ape shit. And so it was like, okay, let's just sell this. I do obviously believe very strongly in this, this technology, but it's something where it's just like, I, I need to just get my head on straight here. And, and so we just, you know, sort of like, okay, let's just sit in cash for half a second here. So we've got catch our breath here and, and make a, a very concentrated decision of how we want to invest this money. And so then, you know, I did buy a very sizable position of it back into Ethereum because I do strongly believe about it in it. And, and sort of the idea that people are like, you know, that I don't believe in this stuff. It's like, well, I'm continuing to sell it. I obviously understand that this was the technology that allowed me to sell this. Like, of course, I believe in it. And so. I think that's a little silly. And I think, to be quite honest, I think sometimes the crypto community, they push so hard in trying to evangelize people that it turns a lot of people off. And I don't think they realize that. And so when you're constantly pushing so hard, this is the best, this is the best, this is the best, people kind of like reflexively take a step back and they're like, yeah, but is it? And it, it really is very like a big turnoff to it, like the broader community. So I think Sometimes people need to take a step back and sort of chill here and like, you know, let people come to this in their own sort of way and sort of own sort of understanding of this kind of the value of, you know, these technologies, which I absolutely believe in long term. And I believe that everybody will come to it, you know, eventually. But sometimes I, I feel like we could take a breath here and it would, you know, sort of allow people to come to it even faster. No matter the reasoning, many in the Ethereum and NFT community were still irritated. But just like Beeple, everyone who makes money in crypto, even as a primary form of income, still lives their existing lives in fiat-based systems. They pay rent, 
buy homes, cars and live out their general day-to-day lives in dollars, euros and yen. Maybe in the future, there will never be any need to use anything other than crypto. But even the most die-hard NFT advocates aren't there yet. For now, these two systems live in parallel. But increasingly, more and more people are migrating to crypto and NFTs to derive an income. And the greater variety of work that happens there natively, the more services are created for and by the community, the less reason there is we all need to revert back to the old economy. Beeple never identified as an NFT artist per se. He was a digital artist who leveraged Ethereum to take his career to the next level. He acknowledges he owes the community for his recent success and the next levelling of his career, and he continues to be its advocate even if he's no longer considered its poster child. He helped, in part, to take it mainstream and is an undisputable part of its history. But how on earth did we even get to a point where someone sells a digital piece of art for that much money? Where it's plastered over every mainstream news outlet for weeks on end? At the time of recording, it's late 2021, the NFT market really exploded over the last 18 months, seemingly out of nowhere. But it's the innovation of NFTs that have been around almost as long as the first blockchain, Bitcoin itself, for nearly a decade. We're going to meet the people behind this journey to mainstream, the dreamers and doers that made it possible, and hear their stories firsthand. To tell that story, we must first go back to 2017, where we saw the first mainstream crypto frenzy happen. late 2017, crypto had its breakout moment in the media. By December of that year, Bitcoin had hit $20,000 and the mania that ensued was incredible. It was the bubble of all crypto bubbles up until that point. It was when your mum and dad, barber and taxi driver and the proverbial shoeshine boy was giving you trading tips. What drove the crazy prices we saw? Well, Many people attribute it to the rising number of projects we saw get listed on exchanges, and most of these were initial coin offerings. An initial coin offering, an ICO, is the crypto industry's equivalent to an initial public offering, an IPO. It is a crowdfunding event where a project looks to raise funds to launch a new tokenized network and protocol or application. Most of these were initial coin offerings, with eye-watering returns known as ICOs. Some of these projects raised billions of dollars and were being traded in massive volumes on crypto exchanges. We saw these new tokens being pumped and hyped for future utility. The speculation was wild and many retail investors started thinking of crypto as a get-rich-quick scheme. Ethereum, for example, went from around $10 to $1,400 in 2017 alone. 
the retail market started looking for these types of returns, which created a very speculative bubble and frenzied environment. Now, during this, there were still very cool, highly innovative things being built, but the attention was directly correlated with the money and returns people expected and not the functionality or utility of the projects involved. But these were primarily for fungible tokens, like cryptocurrencies, not non-fungible tokens or NFTs. However, lost amongst all this noise was CryptoKitties, an application built on Ethereum that let you birth, breed and trade, of all things, digital cats. Yep, cats on a blockchain. CryptoKitties was one of the first breakaway NFT projects, where each cat was a unique tradable digital asset whose lineage and bloodline was perfectly tracked on a blockchain. It was so successful, it caused so much congestion on the Ethereum blockchain, it made it practically unusable. Yes, a humble game of breeding cats on a blockchain broke Ethereum. It was both a humbling moment for those that proposed Ethereum could become a global settlement layer and the next phase of the web, Web3, but at the same time it made some sit up and pay attention to the promise of NFTs as a killer app for crypto, a momentary crossover for blockchain technology. This was NFT's true moment to shine, away from pure financial use cases. It was fun, mimetic and viral, and for a moment, NFTs caught the world's attention. Suddenly, something had clicked with collectors, digitally in the form of NFT cats. Sidi Tuna told us how he found CryptoKitties on his NFT journey. I remember being on a Telegram group uh, the day before release, just talking to Benny and a couple of the guys, and people had been, they'd been doing some private releases and testing, and I, I picked up a, like a Genesis kitty at the time. I was like, this is, this is kind of interesting. I didn't, I didn't appreciate the depth of what they were doing uh, in terms of like the whole breeding mechanics and stuff. We don't know how it's going to work out, but this is really interesting. And CryptoKitties, you know, it, it remains popular in its own way. But what was really important was suddenly someone had clicked with collectors and they'd done it with a game. And then the game turned into art. It actually turned into like these fashionable ones, fashionable kitties, and like uh, special kitties, as well as the actual little gamification with breeding. Uh, it, it was just such a game changer. And in fact, it was quite a surprise. It took a long time for NFTs to really develop beyond CryptoKitties because everyone just tried to clone it. But CryptoKitties was a huge, huge moment. And that CryptoKitties was when NFTs came into being, essentially. I know some people will say it's CryptoPunks and so on, but for me, it's not. It was, it was CryptoKitties. CryptoKitties were a defining moment for many as to the potential of NFTs, but they actually exposed the limitations of the Ethereum blockchain at that time and led many to question if blockchain could ever scale to live up to meet its promise. However, Silly Tuna argues that this was ultimately an incredibly good thing for Ethereum as someone had finally found product market fit. That means in startup parlance, that there was quantifiable evidence that there was a use case with genuine demand for a blockchain. It just came in a way that many had not predicted. 
Then the day later, CryptoKitties came out on Ethereum. And Ethereum went. And everyone was complaining, oh my God, you've stopped Ethereum, you've taken it over. This is terrible. And I was like, it's not terrible. Someone just found product market fit. CryptoKitties were the first NFT project to truly attract attention outside of a small niche of crypto developers. But you have to go all the way back to 2012 to find arguably the first examples of non-fungibility in the context of crypto and blockchains. In 2012, coloured coins were built on the Bitcoin blockchain, and many argue the very first NFTs to exist, even if they weren't directly referred to as NFTs at the time. They are made up of small denominations of Bitcoin that would be burnt or destroyed, instead to represent a non-fungible thing such as a coupon, property or subscription. At the time, this was a mental leap in the possible use cases of Bitcoin as a blockchain. However, there was a fundamental design flaw. Bitcoin might be very good as a fungible digital currency or digital gold, but could only represent other kinds of value if everyone agreed that there was a form of off-chain social consensus. For example, if five people agreed that a coloured coin was something valuable as an NFT, but the sixth person didn't, the system simply didn't work. It was only as good as its weakest participant. In fact, most wallets were not even programmed to recognise coloured coins as they just got lost in the dust. It was only an experimental concept. Despite coloured coins' inherent flaws, they nonetheless opened the door to further experimentation and that laid much of the groundwork for NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. The immense potential for non-fungible use cases, ultimately use cases beyond currency, on blockchains was clear. It wasn't until Ethereum's general purpose computer was born out of Bitcoin's community by its wonder kid, Vitalik Buterin, that something like CryptoKitties was eventually possible at scale. However, the early Bitcoin community continued to iterate on the NFT use case with projects like Counterparty, a peer-to-peer -peer financial platform on top of the Bitcoin blockchain that allowed for asset creation. As Jeremy Johnson, aka JDog, an early adopter of Counterparty puts it, how Counterparty launched, born bottom-up out of the Bitcoin community, was the most attractive thing about it. The developers who launched it had no special privileges and everyone, including them, had to burn their own personal Bitcoin just like any other user in order to use the platform. Um, Counterparty predates um, Ethereum and it was essentially some developers got together. They didn't like the way that uh, I think it was Colored Coins was, was uh, being run. They didn't like the ICO um, and so 
for their own reasons, they essentially started up a token platform, wrote everything themselves, uh, including a decentralized exchange, uh, the burn, everything, and announced, uh, hey, here's a token platform. It's fully functioning. And on this date, anybody who's interested and sees value in this platform uh, can essentially burn their Bitcoins, destroy their, provably destroy their Bitcoins, and in exchange, get some uh, XCP, which is the native token, uh, back. And the reason this was really novel at the time was because the developer, everything else was, you know, you launch a platform and there's like an ICO and somebody, you know, grabs for the money. This was the developers built the platform, launched it fully working, made no promises about what it would do in the future. And they took no funds for themselves. They had to burn their Bitcoins just like everybody else. Um, so that's really what attracted me to Counterparty was just the way it was launched. Um, and that obviously that runs on the strongest, strongest blockchain, but there's just a real good community, a good ethos, um, around counterparty of honest people that are, are here on the platform because they want to use, uh, the tokens and, and build on the technology rather than a lot of people on other platforms are just there for the money. If colored coins were the Genesis, then counterparty became the primordial building blocks albeit within the limitations of Bitcoin at that time, for everything NFT since. CryptoKitties and Axie Infinity may have been the games in their respective generations to become popular, but trading card games like Spells of Genesis... <laughs> Spells of Genesis is one of the first blockchain-based mobile games ever made. It combines trading card game functionalities with the point-and-shoot aspects of arcade games. Players have to collect and combine cards to create the strongest deck in order to fight their enemies. Games like Spells of Genesis, which was built on Counterparty, had a huge cult following in its own right back in 2015. Shaban Shame, its creator, told us that Spells of Genesis was actually the first game to have tokenized assets on a blockchain. The thought process and values behind building this game are evergreen and remain true to this day, shifting the values we've seen previously in physical collectibles to a digital world. Because if you look at physical card game, usually the value are higher and people are more likely to pay money for a physical card than an in-game card because you have this ownership that you couldn't have in a digital world. So we wanted to put that... Uh, this uh, unicity and uh, true ownership in the hands of digital players. So that's where we started uh, Spells of Genesis, and that was our value proposition. And at that time, it was very, very new. Uh, it was very new, and we, um, we quickly noticed that we thought at the beginning mainstream users will embrace that. They will be happy to own their card, of course, using blockchain is a bit complicated, but uh, the value proposition for them would be uh, interesting. What we notice is we got a, a pool of players who were uh, crypto enthusiasts at the beginning, and then they will happily collect the card, have true ownership, and it di didn't really move to uh, mainstream users. So it really created a pool of different people, I would say mainstream user and blockchainers. In 2017, along came Ethereum, 
to address many of the limitations we've seen in things such as colored coins, especially in the context of NFTs. CryptoKitties may have been the first to see popular limelight from an NFT perspective, but they weren't the first NFT on Ethereum. In mid-2017, before CryptoKitties, CryptoPunks were born. What are CryptoPunks? They're unique, highly pixelated characters and avatars generated on the Ethereum blockchain from a team called Lava Labs. They were limited to a fixed supply of 10,000 unique combinations of traits where no two characters were the same. They were play on the term cypherpunks, the early community of coders in the 1990s who experimented with the web and in particular cryptographic techniques that were a precursor to and eventually enabled Bitcoin as an innovation. In retrospect, it seems crazy now knowing they're being auctioned for tens of million dollars in auction venues like Sotheby's, CryptoPunks were initially given away for free. Anyone with an Ethereum wallet could claim one up until all 10,000 were gone. To think that now a floor punk, the most common of all punks, fetches up to $100,000 is as mind-boggling to its creators as it is to you and me. As Matt Hall, one of the co-founders of Lava Labs and creators of CryptoPunks puts it, it all started out as an experiment in, at that time, the novel concept of digital ownership. Like when we launched this, it was definitely an experiment and it felt like it felt a little crazy in the sense that we didn't even know if people would have the feeling of ownership around something like this um, and whether this was sort of a sufficient mechanism to make them feel like they did own something. Initially, we weren't even sure if anyone would be interested at all. And then once there was a group interested, you know, in a, a very like sort of in interested small community sort of rallied around it and stuck with it. And as we sort of experienced it with those people, we kind of learned that there was something pretty powerful there and almost kind of came to realize that there was something even a little bigger than we expected there. We didn't really understand what it was at first, but then it, we started to see like, this is a solution for, for digital art, a way for digital artists to sell their work um, efficiently, a new kind of, uh, you know, model for ownership a little bit. Um, and it just sort of started feeling like something that the blockchain was really good at um, and provided a real solution to for a thing that was tricky to do before. So as sort of time went by over those few years, we kind of got more and more sort of entrenched in our belief that it was a pretty cool, potentially very big thing. In 2021, punks are regularly selling for millions of dollars on secondary marketplaces. This early experiment has grown into something culturally significant, not just to NFTs, but to art and popular culture at large. Something so special that in 2021, people like Mark Cuban and Jay-Z would pay a premium of millions to join its club and display status in its community. Back in 2017, however, it was so early that Matt and his partner John didn't even have a name for what CryptoPunks actually were. They certainly didn't refer to them as NFTs. Not to get too technical, but the token standard ERC721, the token standard all NFTs on Ethereum use, had not even been created yet. 
So let's slow things down a bit and explain ERC20 and ERC721. ERC stands for Ethereum Request for Comment. And ERC20 is the most common smart contract standard to create and program fungible tokens and the majority of cryptocurrencies people will be familiar with today. ERC721, however, was the first standard for representing non-fungible digital assets on the Ethereum blockchain and provides core methods that allow tracking the owner of a unique identifier, as well as a permissioned way for the owner to transfer the asset to others. What is incredible is CryptoPunks had somehow been created before the technical standard for NFTs was even invented on Ethereum, which shows you just how early it was. And they have still stood the test of time. If you want to display status in the NFT community, there is no greater way than using a CryptoPunk as an avatar or profile picture on Twitter. As Matt puts it, they didn't even have a term for what they'd invented. Uh, I don't think we really had a name for it back then, honestly. like it, the, the site, when we first launched it, was basically like kind of describing the concept like almost to an audience that had never didn't really even understand a blockchain so it's like it was like a very first principles introduction to it really we didn't really even have a term for it i don't think so by mid to late 2017 we'd seen crypto punks and crypto kitties but punks weren't the first nft built on ethereum the first nft to be built on ethereum was ethereum Simply put, these were non-fungible tiles on a digital map of virtual real estate. Cyrus Atkinson tells us that as soon as Ethereum launched, he got to work on Ethereum, showcasing the first version at DEFCON 1 in October 2015. Yeah, I think that starts in uh, 2014. I happened across the um, Ether sale announcement on Hacker News. And you know, watched the videos, read the white paper, and immediately got it. And I said, this is going to be world-changing. It's uh, Turing completeness on the blockchain. So computation that is trustless. Um, I followed the project until its launch on um, July 30th, 2015, and immediately got to work on um, Ethereum, which is a little virtual world. The blockchain can't hold all that much, but it's a 33 by 33 map of tiles that people can purchase and trade and uh, use little Lego-like bricks to build things on. I launched the first version of that on uh, October 21st, 2015, and it had internal trading functions. Uh, I was going off of Gav York's Gavcoin examples, and it would say, so-and-so has an offer, some, and, and the owner of that tile could then reject that offer or accept that offer. But that internal plumbing uh, was very expensive to deploy. The contract size was huge uh, and it was complicated. So I didn't figure anybody would actually trade these things. I thought it would be kind of a novelty at best. So when I deployed version 1.2 on October 29th, 2015, I, got, I scrapped all that internal plumbing for trading and just added one simple function that said, if you're the owner of a tile, set that tile ownership to someone else or some other account. And that was the breakthrough because that made 
tile trading externally controllable uh, and trustless through other contracts and therefore exchange tradable, never mind that exchanges wouldn't exist for another several years. Yeah, some people bought some tiles early on, a couple people built some stuff. One guy built a pretty impressive cabin, you know, completely on the command line um, on, on his tile. But the project, you know, went fallow, uh, unused for more than five years until just recently the uh, NFTs started getting hot. And I realized, oh, boy, I might have actually done the first ones ever. And I fired up the website, fired up the Twitter. And once I fired up the Twitter, some of the original OGs from Ethereum, you know, made the uh, googly eye icons and uh, was off to the races at that point. People found the current contract, version 1.2, bought up all the tiles in a few hours on Saturday, uh, 359 of them. And then on Sunday, bought up the 409 tiles that were outstanding in the V1.1 contract. They felt that the V1.1 represented actually the very first NFTs. So in 2017, we had Color Coins, 2015, Spells of Genesis and Ethereal, and in 2017, we saw CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties. Fast forward to 2021, and the digital artist Beeple is selling artwork for $69 million. And Action Infinity is providing a new way for people around the world to work, earn, and play, and make money digitally. So why did it take so long for NFTs to become a mainstay in crypto culture? After all, there's been many iterations across two of the most popular blockchains on the planet. Why did it take until late 2017 for CryptoKitties to boom? What happened between CryptoKitties and CryptoPunks and the huge adoption and sales we're now seeing in 2021? Well, at the turn of the year in 2018, crypto markets saw a massive correction, with Bitcoin and Ethereum seeing losses of over 90%. It was devastating for both retail investors buying in at the peak and had become difficult for projects to raise funding, especially for NFTs. However, typically in crypto, historically it's been shown where there is less speculative attention, better things get built, something affectionately referred to as buildal. Ethereum by far has the most developers of any blockchain, but it saw its community split in two between use cases. Put simply, between NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and DeFi. DeFi is short for Decentralized Finance, a set of protocols that today primarily live on the Ethereum blockchain that allow people to borrow and lend in a permissionless way that is without a bank or intermediary in a peer-to-peer fashion. Ethereum has the most developers of any blockchain and its source community split in two between use cases of financial 
like DeFi and non-financial like NFTs. The majority of attention, however, flowing into DeFi because it was the closest thing to money and financial return. But for others, some stayed true to their creative impulses of art, gaming and collectibles. So what happened between the crash of early 18 until the present day? Who were the people building and collecting NFTs during this bear market? Why did NFTs make such a resurgence in 2019 going mainstream in 2020? Predominantly, we can correlate the rise of NFTs during this period with the rise of the digital collector. This documentary was brought to you by NFTs.WhatTheFuck, a digital magazine and media platform dedicated to documenting the past, present and future of NFTs. This episode on the history and future of NFTs, an audio documentary, was narrated by me, Jamie Burke. This podcast was written, produced and edited by Pet Berisha. This episode in the history and future of NFTs featured... Ryan Gill, Robness, Marguerite, Angie Taylor, Gautha, Jay DeLay, Hans Artblock, Josie Bellini, Joy, Jin, Silly Tuna, Lupify, Johan Unger, Stefan Young, Sean Gardner, Sebastian Borgette, Duncan Cockfoster, Meta Dreamer, Gabby Dizon, Jeff Zerlin, Beeple, Roham, Jeremy Johnson, Shaban Shame, Matt Hall, Cyrus Atkinson.